Hello and welcome to this message from the river. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Samuel. We're going to be going there, 2 Samuel, I believe, chapter 11. And I want to read to you uh, from that passage today. And we're going to look at the life of David here and see some similarities perhaps in some places that he went wrong and try to avoid some of those pit stop, or pitfalls along the way uh, in our own lives. And uh, uh, I'm all for that. I'm all for learning from someone else's uh, difficulties and situations, learning an easy lesson rather than a hard way. Amen? Some of you know people that can only learn lessons the hard way, right? Uh, we've probably all got some areas in our lives where we can only learn lessons the hard way, but uh, it's always best if we can take someone else's example, draw from that, learn from that, and not make the same mistakes in our own lives. Uh, today I want to continue our series called Commitment, or a committed, uh, I'm Committed to Contentment. Let me get it out there. I told April, I said, that is a tongue twister. I'm having a hard time saying it. But we are committed to contentment in our own lives. Amen? I don't want to be weary, worn out, frustration, uh, frustrated, dissatisfied, always looking for something to fulfill me when Jesus Christ has promised that He is the sum total of everything that I need in my life. Amen? And so contentment can be found in Him. And so our series text is found in Philippians 4.11. It says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I have learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. What does whatever include? It means whatever, right? I mean, it takes care of every situation, every scenario that I can come up with. God says, be content regardless of the state I am. Now, that doesn't mean I have to be satisfied. That doesn't mean that I settle in and just accept circumstances as they are. But it does mean that I find contentment where I am and I begin from that point to advance my position, to make it better, and to walk with God throughout the entirety of the process. Amen? Amen. Last week I talked to you about three things. I talked about a commitment. Uh, our contentment is a calling. Uh, contentment is something that we have to choose daily. It's a daily quest. And so it's a calling on our lives. It's something that even God commands us to do. He doesn't say, I, I would like for you to be content. He says, be content. That's a command. And so he's encouraging us. He's leading us towards life. By saying that, uh, we talked about contentment is not complacency. Contentment is not the same thing as complacency. Complacency means I'm happy with where I am and I don't leave any room for growth in my life, but, but uh, being content means that I'm happy where I am, I find joy where I am, but I'm not content. I'm leaving, or I'm not just staying here. I'm leaving room for growth and development in my life. I'm leaving room for God to work and develop me and advance me beyond where I currently am. Contentment is not complacency. And then lastly, contentment is a choice. Something that we get to choose. It's an it's a, it's a attitude. It's something that we decide that I am going to be content. And every day we get up and we have to say, today I'm going to be content. Today I am not going to let 
difficulties frustrate me to the point that I lose my contentment, my peace, and my joy. I'm not going to let anyone come in and rob me of my peace and contentment and joy. I'm not going to let circumstances come in and take away my contentment, but I'm choosing contentment today. And I'm going to embrace that for my life. And even though there's going to be opportunities throughout every single day to throw my contentment out the window, I'm going to allow the Lord to help me in that process and I'm not going to forfeit it for anything or anyone today. I'm choosing contentment. And so today I want to look at what happens when we continue to live with discontentment in our lives, when we don't deal with it, when we don't put it under the blood, so to speak, and bring it before Jesus and allow God to deal with it and help us to deal with it in our lives, what can happen from that? So this morning I want to preach to you from the life of David in 2 Samuel 11 concerning the cost of discontentment, the cost of discontentment. Would you help me pray? Father, we thank you, Lord, this morning for a wonderful spirit that we feel in this house today. Lord, we thank you that you speak to your people. That, God, your word uh, comes, comes alive in us, Lord Jesus, and it speaks better things and a better covenant, Lord Jesus. We ask that today, God, you would just move in our hearts and lives. Lord, help me as I preach from David's life to connect these to practical ways that we can take this word of God and apply it to our everyday life and let it help us advance our position with you, God, so that we can live with contentment so that we can set aside frustrations and dissatisfaction and disappointments, God, and embrace the life that you want us to live. We thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 2 Samuel chapter 11, beginning in verse 2. Uh, just to give you a little background up to this point, uh, David is engaged in a battle as the, uh, the kingdom is engaged in a battle, and he's got men that are out fighting on the front lines. David uh, although we read throughout the history of the Bible that he is a mighty warrior. Uh, after all, he is the guy that took down the giant uh, Goliath, right, and uh, slayed him. But he, he is not on the battlefield. He is at home in the palace. And, and that's where we find him as we read this story. Let me just back up for just a minute and just say this to you, that discontentment left to its own devices will ultimately cost you greatly. Discontentment left alone, left undealt with, left to just do what it does will ultimately cost you greatly. It must be dealt with in the life of the believer or it will end up costing us greatly in our lives. 2 Samuel 11 2 says this, Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. Point number one is this, that discontentment can cost you your calm, it can cost you your peace. It can cost you your calm and it can cost you your peace. How many of you have ever felt like you have sacrificed your peace or you have sacrificed your calm in, in a situation? Anybody ever felt like there's this storm raging inside of you and it doesn't matter what you seem to do, nothing seems to fix it. You need something to come along, someone, Jesus namely, that comes along and begins to calm that storm that has been stirred up in our lives. We can forfeit, we can forfeit, we can throw away our calm and our peace if we're not careful through discontentment. It will cost you your calm or your peace by stirring up restlessness and wondering. David is not doing anything. David is a warrior. God called him that years and years ago. 
That's what he spoke over him. That's what he was designed to be. And yet David is not on the battlefield doing what his purpose dictates he do. Rather, he is in the castle, he is in the palace, and he is finding himself in a state of discontentment. He's allowing discontentment now to begin to provoke in him restlessness and wandering, and he is finding himself aimlessly wandering in the kingdom. And when we begin to get to that place where discontentment begins to cost us and begins to push us to new realms of behavior and different ways that we act, then we suddenly find ourselves restless, we find ourselves wandering, we find ourselves very open to whatever the enemy might want to bring into our lives. We're forfeiting our peace. Discontentment and restlessness will walk you into trouble every single time. It says here in verse 2, then it happened one evening. Then it happened one evening. When I read that, it seems to me that that implies that there has been a long season of cultivation that now is coming to full harvest. It is is coming due. It It is now about to give birth to something that perhaps David didn't want it to give birth to. Maybe he left discontentment alone in his life too long. And over a period of time, that season of cultivation, of discontentment and cultivating that in his life is now about to give birth to something that he does not And that's why I say to you today that if you don't deal with discontentment, if I don't deal with discontentment in my life, it creates restlessness and that opens the door to the enemy to do big things and big harm in our life. Discontentment, listen, in the life of David is now forcing new patterns of behavior that are contrary to the normal patterns of behavior and creating an opportunity for sin to enter in. I'm going to say that to you again. Discontentment in the life of David is forcing new patterns of behavior that are contrary to his normal patterns and are creating an opportunity for sin to enter in. Normally, David would not be in the house. Normally, David would not be uh, up wandering the house at night. Normally, David would be on the battlefield. And because he was on the battlefield, he would be too weary from waging war against the enemy to have any time on his hands to be wandering around the house in the middle of the night. Now, I'll say to you, of course, I mean, we have reasons that we find ourselves up in the middle of the night. I've had bouts of insomnia in my life where I could not sleep. And at like 2 o'clock every morning, I'm up and I'm wandering around, looking in the refrigerator, trying to get a drink of water, walking outside, trying to figure out what to do to go to sleep. We have those things. Medication sometimes keeps us up. But as a general rule, if discontentment and a lack of purpose is keeping us up in the middle of the night. That's dangerous territory. And it can just get us into a lot of stuff that we don't, we don't need to get into. And it says it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And so I just wonder, what is David doing wandering in the middle of the night and wandering around his house. And I can tell you with certainty that nothing good is coming from that. I've had parents come to me as a youth pastor and say, you know, my kid doesn't want to get out of bed in the morning. They stay up till 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning and they don't want to get out of bed in the morning. Here's an easy fix for that. 
You get them up at 6 the next day, get them mowing the yard, get them cleaning, doing some work, I promise you at 9 o'clock you don't even have to rock them to sleep. They'll lay down and go right to bed because there's a purpose. They're getting up and they're putting their energy into something. And they're doing something. It's the same with me. If I stay up all night long and I, and I, I sleep all day the next day, then guess what? I start making a new pattern in my life and it's hard for me to get up at a normal time the next day. We start creating negative patterns. And a lot of times this comes strictly from discontentment in our lives. We're wandering. We're aimless. We have this hunger for something, yet we don't know what it is, and so we're just kind of aimlessly wandering through life. And that's where David finds himself in this particular place in the history of his life. Discontentment forces new patterns of behavior and creates an opportunity for sin. Listen, boredom is a tool that the enemy uses to make us open to his suggestions. Boredom is a tool that the enemy will use to make us... My kids don't say to me, Daddy, I'm bored. That's fine. i got lots of stuff that you can do. Go get the vacuum cleaner. Oh, I'm not bored anymore. Daddy, I'm bored. Well, go outside and play with the animal. No, I don't want to do that. I'm not bored anymore. Boredom is a tool that the enemy uses. Men get into trouble with pornography. Why? Because they're bored. Kids get in trouble uh, doing things they shouldn't be doing. Why? Because they're bored. Women get in trouble because why? Because they're bored. And our boredom is a tool that the enemy uses to make his suggestions to sin more acceptable to us. And he will open up those suggestion box and he will pour out ideas in your mind. And idle mind is the devil's workshop. It's not in the Bible, but it's still true. It's so true. We have to put our energy and our efforts into something that matters. Because if we don't, we'll find discontentment in our lives. And then we'll begin to wander and, and, and open ourselves up to so many things that the devil wants to do with us. The, David is up wandering around. And then what happens in verse 2 says this. It says, and from the roof... He saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. He's bored, he's aimless, he's restless, and he's up wondering. And what happens? The opportunity for sin is presented. There's a woman bathing down there, and she ain't ugly. That's the Billy Pate version of the Bible. A woman is bathing and she is a looker. And, and April's telling me careful up here on the front row. And so now the opportunity for sin is revealed. If David had been doing what David was supposed to be doing, this would never have happened. But because he's allowed discontentment to create new behaviors, now he's in a position to sin and the enemy has created that opportunity before him. David, at this point... He still has a choice. He still has a choice. But he has put himself in such a compromising situation that it is extremely difficult for him to walk away. And if we're honest in this place, we find ourselves compromising along the way at times in our lives to the point that it is very difficult to walk away from the compromises we have walked into. David, we can all criticize David from here. 
But a lot of us in the same situation with perhaps different temptations would fall for them in the same manner that he did. It's hard to walk away when you've walked that far. And we've got to be careful. The devil, listen, the devil does not entice you with ugly things. The devil never entices you with ugly things. He paints a beautiful picture of something that is greener on the other side, that's better on the other side. This is something you could do with your time. And it's this pretty picture. And David finds himself in that place. Discontentment will cost you your calm and your peace. What are you talking about? I'm saying, listen, David had a relationship with God that was rich. It was, it was great. He was a man that was, that was labeled a man after God's own heart. God highly esteemed him and highly valued him. He was at peace with God. He was at peace with those around him. And he begins to forfeit all of those things. Why? Because he's letting discontentment grow in his heart. Without peace, you start looking for something to satisfy you. And if you're not careful, you will find it in the wrong places. The enemy will do his best to make sure of that. Jesus is the only one that can calm the stormy sea of the soul. He is the only one that is the cure to discontentment. He is the only one that can settle our hearts and settle our minds and offer us the peace that we long for. Don't let discontentment cost you your calm. And so let me ask you this morning, are you finding yourself restless and dissatisfied? If so, I encourage you today, let Jesus meet that need. If it's... If he doesn't meet the need, then what's going to meet it? It's not in a new job. It's not in a new trinket. It's not in a new relationship. It's not in any of those things. It is in a relationship with Jesus Christ that we find peace and contentment. And it is only in a relationship with Jesus Christ that we find it. Amen. Amen. Verse 3 goes on to say, So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Point number two is this. Discontentment can cost you your character. Like I said, David has a choice at the point that he sees her bathing, and he's standing on the top of his roof, uh, roof. And he is presented with the opportunity of sin, but he has the power and he has the choice to walk away from it. He can rely on God's grace. He can repent and he can get himself right and walk away from the disaster that he's walking into. But rather than do that, rather than accept God's grace and protection, he's relying on his own willpower in the situation. And our willpower is not enough to overcome the sin and the temptations that the enemy will throw in your life. It's not enough. If you're just going to be strong enough to overcome it, you are going to fail. You are going to fail. And even if you have some successes, you're only setting yourself up to topple even in a bigger way. Because the truth is, if you ever help yourself get out of a situation, you think you're your own savior. And then you find yourself set up for a bigger fall. We've got to have Jesus to help us. With the little stuff and the big stuff, willpower is not enough. Verse 3 says, David sent and inquired about the woman. First of all, David is 
he's creeping on the woman, right? I mean, we all agree about that. I mean, he's standing up on his rooftop, he's creeping. It's just, it's just weird, right? So that's the first thing that we see in the text that's just not right. Second of all, he's married himself. And not only is he married, he has multiple wives. Not only multiple wives, but multiple concubines as well. And so that tells us right there that David is not finding contentment in his own life because he needs just one more to fulfill the whole that he has inside of him. You always need just one more. That's the thing about sin is it just creates a bigger hole. It never fills one. It just creates a bigger one. And you find yourself needing one more. One more drink. One more party. One more relationship. One more night. One more this. One more moment on the internet. One more of this. Whatever. It's always one more. Jesus is the only one that completely and fully satisfies us. Discontentment. Verse 3 says, and someone says, one of his people says, hey, I believe that's Bathsheba. She's the daughter of so-and-so, Eliam, and she is the wife of Uriah, who is fighting in the very battle that you should be fighting in. Now, to make it all worse, she is also married. Discontentment can cost you your character. It's a slippery slope. You start compromising in this, and you find yourself continually compromising over and over and over again to the point that you cannot come out of it unscathed. David ignores these facts. And in verse 4 it says, Then David sent messengers and took her. Yes, I'm married. So what? I'm ignoring that fact. Yes, she's married. So what? I'm ignoring that fact. Go ahead, go get her. He took her and she came to him and he lay with her, the scripture says. The progression of his sin is clear in the text. He is discontent. He becomes restless. New patterns of behavior are being established. He sees her. He inquires of her. And then he sins with her. The series of compromises have begun for David and he has let his discontentment cost him his character. Is this not David who defeated the lion and the bear and Goliath? Is this not David, who when he had the opportunity to sin against Saul, said, I will not lift my hand up against God's anointed? Is this not David, who lived with such character that he would not even speak negatively about his un faithful and ungodly king but yet served him anyway. This is the man who has built his life having a, being a person of character and resolve and yet he is willing to throw it all away. Why? Because he's allowed discontentment to grow in his life to the point that he's willing to compromise everything and his credibility is on the line. He's let it cost him his character and who he is as a person and now what he stands for. Not only does he compromise, but he's not even hiding it anymore. It's full-blown, blatant sin at this point. He is sending his people to go and get her. And I know sin is sin, and I agree with that wholeheartedly, but one, it's one thing to sin privately and, it, and leave others out of it, and it's a whole other level when you start involving others in the process. We are accountable for the people around us in our lives. 
Not only for what we do, but for what we cause them to do. If you don't think so, Jesus said this. He said, it's better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and you be thrown into the sea than to cause one of my little ones to falter or fail. Now he's not talking about children only there. He's talking about young Christians. He's talking about people that you have influence over. He's saying it's better for you to die than to cause somebody else to sin. And so I think it's very clear that it's one thing for us to sin and affect our own lives, but it's a whole other level when we start involving others in the process. Compromises in our character forfeit our credibility. And David is throwing away his character and his credibility, and for what? For what? For a beautiful lady, yes, she's, I'm sure she was gorgeous. She may have been the most beautiful woman in the world, but is it really worth your character, your credibility, your history of being who you are in Christ Jesus? It's not. So where are you compromising today because of discontentment? Where are you possibly sacrificing character and credibility trying to feed your discontentment? Verse 5 says, And the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Point number three is this. Discontentment will conceive things you never intended. I assure you that David's plan, if there was a plan, was never to have a child with Bathsheba. That was not on his radar. His intentions were to sin and to send her a home, but it's never that simple. James 1.14 says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Sinful desires are always potentially conceived through discontentment and we have to guard our hearts against it. Again, we start looking for things to satisfy us and invariably we look anywhere but to Christ, if we look anywhere but to Christ. It will lead us to sin and sin leads to birthing of consequences that we never intended or never wanted. So what is your discontentment this morning giving birth to? For some of you, it's given birth to debt. If I just had a bigger house, if I just had a better car, if I just had this or that, boat, camper. What's it giving birth to? Is it giving birth to unfaithfulness in your life? Is it giving birth to addiction in your life? I'm bored. I'm tired. I'm giving myself a pass because I'm discontent and I'm not satisfied. I'm giving myself an indulgence. Is it giving birth to division? It's driving a wedge between me and my family because I'm not happy with me. Verses 6 through 14, for the sake of time, I'm just going to summarize them. But David realized what's happened. Oh my goodness, I've got a kid now on the way. And he's still looking for a way to cover it up. He ain't done yet. So he sends for Uriah and gets, some, gets him to come home from the battlefield hoping that he will sleep with his wife and think that he is the father. Do you, do you, do you hear that? David is willing to delegitimize his own child for the sake of covering up his sin. 
I could talk about that for the rest of the day, but I won't. Uriah doesn't go along with the process. He won't go into the house while his fellow soldiers are fighting a war. He's still living with character. David gets him drunk and tries again, but he still won't go. So he comes up with a new plan. He sends a letter to Joab, who's the captain of the army, and this is what we find in verse 15. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle. Retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the people of the servants of David fell and Uriah the Hittite died also. My last point is this. Discontentment causes collateral damage. Uriah dies. This is tragic and wrong. But notice also in verse 17 what it says. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the people of the servants of David fell. And Uriah the Hittite died also. David got him. He took care of his his cover up there. He was able to take out Uriah in the process. But his sin also cost the lives of other people who were innocent completely in the process. And this is what I'm saying to you this morning is that it never just affects you. It never just affects you. My discontentment never just affects me. Even if if we never meant to hurt someone else, it still can hurt them because it's driving us to be different than what we were created to be. Discontentment causes collateral damage. Discontentment is a ticking time bomb that left undealt with can cause not only damage to you, but damage to those around you and especially, especially to those you love. So what is discontentment costing those you love? We have to evaluate that in our hearts openly before the Lord and let Him speak to us so that He can reveal to us where we are allowing those things to affect our behaviors and to ultimately affect others in the process. Amber, would you come to the keyboard this morning? Would you stand with me across this place today? The the cost of discontentment is a price that no one wants to pay. It can cost us our calm and our peace and that will ultimately lead to compromise. It can cost us our character which can cost us our credibility. It can conceive things that we never intended for it to conceive. And it can cost others by causing collateral damage in their lives. Discontentment can be satisfied only by looking to Jesus, to looking to Christ and trusting Him to fulfill us. With every head bowed and every eye closed across this place, if our prayer team would come. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I am fighting discontentment. I believe this today. I believe that if every person in this place was truly honest, there's not a person in this room today that could honestly say there's not a place in my heart where I don't find discontentment. We live in a society that screams you need more to be happy. And so it's only by, by, by sheer understanding of who God is that we can overcome that. And so here today, 
If you say, Pastor, this is something that I'm dealing with, I'm not happy. I'm not feeling the peace of God in my life. I'm not discovering the joy in my life. I want discontentment gone. Then would you just be so bold as to step out of your seat and come to these altars and find someone to pray with them, with you, or just kneel and pray on your own? But would you come? Please, please come. I'm discontent with my job. I'm discontent with my marriage. I'm discontent with, with the way things are going. I'm not happy. And I'm looking to other things to fulfill me. Would you come? Come on. Come on. Don't, don't stay back. Don't hold back. Let God work in your heart and work in your life. Let God begin to heal that discontent. But I know, I know there is a congregation full of people here today that, will, that would, if they were honest, would say, I'm not completely content. In whatever state I am, I have learned to be content, the Word says. So would you come, please, step out of your seat. This is not judgmental. This is not this church looking and saying, oh, this person's got a problem. This person's got... Listen, we all got problems. We all got struggles. We all got places that we need to let Jesus be Lord in that we aren't letting Him be Lord in. And I am chief among you today. I'll say that. Because there's a lot of areas that I need God to be Lord in my life. If you're discontent and you're battling that in your life, would you come? Come on. Step out. See if your act of faith of just moving towards the altar won't begin to open the door for God to work in your heart. Would you come? With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you need a relationship with Him, would you just slip your hand up in the air and put it right back down and say, that's me, I need to make a commitment to the Lord this morning. Would you do that? Would there be one that says, that's me. I'm not where I need to be with God today. I need a relationship with Jesus. I need need Him in my life. If that's you, would you slip your hand up and put it right back down? Amen. Us at eleven ten South Preston Street, Burkburnett, Texas. And as always, we encourage you to come experience life with us after Ripley.